One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Spies and Lies, an espionage podcast, delving into and analyzing acts of espionage throughout history, tracing the exploits of daring spies, covert operations, assassinations, hacking, secret organizations, and more. Co-hosted by me, Omri Rose, who spent his childhood living undercover, thanks to his dear old dad and co-host, Jason, a retired former spymaster of one of the top intelligence agencies in the world. And without further ado, today's episode... The Six Assassinations of Abraham Lincoln. According to Ward Hill Lemon, Lincoln's friend and de facto bodyguard, three days before his death, Lincoln had a dream and wandered the White House, searching for the source of mournful sounds. I kept on until I arrived at the East Room, which I entered. There I met with a sickening surprise. Before me was a cataphlac, on which rested a corpse wrapped in funeral vestments. Around it were stationed soldiers who were acting as guards, and there was a throng of people gazing mournfully upon the corpse, whose face was covered, others weeping pitifully. "'Who is dead in the White House?' I demanded of one of the soldiers. The president was his answer. He was killed by an assassin." Lincoln had told his cabinet that he had a dream of being on a singular and indescribable vessel that was moving with great rapidity towards a dark and indefinite shore, and that he had had the same dream before nearly every great and important event of the war. What did you know about Abraham Lincoln before we did this episode? I was not aware that there was so many attempts to assassinate him. That was a surprise to me. It's quite remarkable that there were so many. Yes. And eventually... What ended up happening is also, you know, you'd think with all the attempts that it would have gone down differently. Maybe. But after hearing about the other attempts, you're not surprised, actually, that there was an attempt. No, he had so many threats throughout his life. And uh, good old Honest Abe, he didn't want to let appearances dictate that he was scared of an assassination or something. So I'm quite excited to dive into this one. Yes, there are many, things, many aspects to this from both sides, from the plotters and from, of course, from President Lincoln and how he reacted to the different threats or different assassination attempts that happened or did not happen. So let's, uh, let's get into some background so we know who the heck Abraham Lincoln was. Well, on November 6th of 1860, Abraham Lincoln was elected president of the United States of America. He was the first Republican ever elected, and the party was only formed six years earlier on a platform that supported economic reform, classic liberalism, and opposing the expansion of slavery. Lincoln's election was a major contributing factor, and some might say tipping point, towards representatives of the southern states making it clear that the South was going to secede from the U.S. into a confederacy 
and that this secession was inevitable, tensions increasing all across the nation. On April 12, 1861, war finally broke out and the U.S. Civil War began, the southern states forming the Confederacy, facing off against the northern states known as the Union. Abraham Lincoln was now president of a nation at war with itself, a war which cost more American lives than any war previously or since, between 600,000 to over a million dead in the conflict. And in that backdrop, Abraham Lincoln took the presidency and, to the future historians, he became known as one of the greatest presidents of American history. He was a champion of freedoms and reforms and most commonly known as an abolitionist. He wanted to free the slaves and liberate them and end slavery, which he believed was, was a plague. So far, so good? Yes, yes. It's interesting that a lot of times in history, the person that was assassinated, he goes down in history better than if he would have stayed alive. Well, you think about JFK, who was assassinated much later. He was remembered as a very important, triumphant figure. Whereas if you actually look at the achievements of his cabinet, it might be argued that if he wasn't assassinated, his presidency wouldn't have been looked on so favorably. But because he went out in such a dramatic way, yeah, it definitely it mar it makes a martyr out of people, assassinations. Yes, it's not the only one in history. There was others, in, not only in the United States, but other countries. But we'll touch on we'll it. We'll touch on, on it, yeah. yeah. So we have six plots to get through, six assassination attempts. And we're going to start with one known as the Baltimore Plot. Now, interestingly, this plot occurred before Lincoln actually even became the president. It was February 18th. 1861, and Lincoln was on his way to inauguration, where he would do his um, oath of office and be sworn in as president. And on the way there, there was supposed to be an assassination attempt against Lincoln. Luckily for him, Alan Pinkerton, a detective and spy who formed the Pinkerton Agency, a private security and detective agency, was able to foil the plan. But what was the plan? Let's find out. On February 11th, 1861, President-elect Lincoln boarded a train in Springfield, Illinois. It was the start of his Whistle Stop Tour, which was a tour of 70 towns and cities across the United States on his way to Washington, D.C. to speak to the public and to calm concerns about the growing unrest. The Civil War hadn't broken out yet, but there was a lot of tribulation and strife going on, and he wanted to speak everywhere he went and calm people and say, we're all in this together, you know, and peace and liberty and, and all that good stuff. The tour itself would end with his inauguration in Washington, D.C., and because he wanted it to be so public for everyone and to calm people's concerns, his whole itinerary for the entire trip was made available to the public through the newspaper for people to have better access to him. In some cases, it was down to the minute his itinerary he was going to be here, then there, all that stuff, which was obviously great for what he was interested in. But speaking from a security point of view, I'm sure that would raise some alarms putting out every single place you're going to be in ahead of time. Well, it's not like it is these days. I mean, it's unthinkable that you would do such a thing today. Uh, but in those days, uh, it was a different way of conducting business, even the way he had to travel, as you were saying. He was in one place to get to Washington. It's not like you take Air Force One or his holy coach and start running on it. <laughs> no, it was a bunch of different trains and carriages. Yes. In some cases, the tracks were owned by different companies. You had to exactly. get off a train one place, walk to the other place. You know, it was an event. It was a pilgrimage in some ways. In some ways, yeah. And he wanted to take advantage of the route. He didn't have to go out and get votes because he was already elected. But he felt he wanted to be in touch with the people. Absolutely. But if you have no bodyguards, it's a bit risky. And you would expect maybe there would have been something or some kind of 
protection. Protection. Well, as the case happened to be, he wanted to avoid a military escort because he didn't want to appear hostile to the southern states because he did have to travel through one state, Maryland, which was actually a slaveholding state at the time, and was kind of on the fence. They didn't know if Maryland, if there would be a split between the southern and northern states, if it would go with the, the southern states or if it would stay with the northern states. So he didn't want to appear hostile. And also for the southern states that were kind of witnessing his tour, he wanted to make the, the appearance of calm, confidence, friends, not war, all that kind of stuff. No president was ever assassinated yet as well. So there's that to consider also. There wasn't this concept of people trying to kill the president. It was unheard of. There had been one attempt previously, but it was on um, President Andrew Jackson by an unemployed and mentally unstable painter. Not really a real legitimate assassination attempt. And both of the assassins' guns misfired when he tried to, to shoot Jackson. And Jackson actually ended up beating him with his cane. It was quite a, a comical moment if it wasn't so scary. So this was unheard of at the time. But his friend, Mr. Lemon, who uh, I quoted from in the beginning, was with Lincoln the entire time. He took it on himself to be Lincoln's de facto kind of bodyguard. Lincoln was a very tall man, but Lemon also was a very big, well-built guy with uh, military training. He, he had been in the, in the military. And also, as I mentioned, Alan Pinkerton was on the case. Now, he wasn't initially on the case for Lincoln. He was hired by the railroad company to provide uh, security for the railroad itself. As I briefly mentioned, the railroads were privately owned at the time. So Pinkerton was hired by the railroad company. The company was afraid of an attack on the line and also maybe something on Lincoln. So in some ways, they were more concerned about the president's uh, safety than the president-elect himself. As I said, part of the journey was to pass through Maryland, which was the biggest point of concern, a very dangerous place for Lincoln. So Pinkerton, he sends some detectives undercover to investigate what's going on in Maryland. He already had an agency. He was established as an efficient and effective guy. So he sends one agent named Kate Warren to go undercover. She was actually the first female agent that he hired. And she took the guise of like this rich Southern lady visiting Baltimore, Maryland to kind of infiltrate different secessionist gatherings using a thick Southern accent and posing as a Southern belle. She quickly not only verifies that there's potential plots to assassinate Lincoln, but also gets details of it. Pinkerton himself then going undercover as a well-off money man with Southern sympathies, as well as working with another agent called Harry Davies, who was very well-traveled and was well-acquainted with the South, who also went undercover and manages to uh, infiltrate as an extreme anti-union man, uh, working his way into the inner circle of one of the plots. The plan to assassinate Lincoln was set for the last leg of his journey. Due to the different companies owning the railroads, there was one section in Baltimore, hence the Baltimore plot, where Lincoln had to get off one train and walk almost a mile or take a carriage almost a mile to get to the other train. And the plan was between these stations, he would be attacked. He would pass through a narrow vestibule near Calvert Street Station to enter his carriage. And that was when they would stage, they, the conspirators, a fight off into the distance. And the few police that were assigned to escort him would then uh, go off to investigate this fight. And then the conspirators would surround him and stab him and kind of kill him. After which they would rush away into the crowd and flee to Virginia using a small chartered steamer, small train, waiting in one of the stations. That obviously was the weakest point from their point of view where they felt it would be convenient for them to do it. Later on, you can see where the problems were in this, but it all depends on how much is leaked out. Because when you have one person doing a job, it may be less organized, but less people know about it. And in this case, there was too many people, too many ideas, 
and eventually something might have been leaked, and that's what happened. Well, Maryland was very openly, or certain circles were very openly vocal about being anti-this, anti-that, which is why the spies that Pinkerton sent were able to infiltrate so much. There were there were hotels that were known to be sympathizers of the South, and they kind of just went there and were open. Yeah, the South, this, and Southern rights, and oh, you feel the same way, and yes, oh, if only Lincoln was gone. Yes, I feel Lincoln should be gone, and you know, and then they eventually find themselves into, well, we have this idea, we're going to get rid of Lincoln. Oh, you know, and it's so it was you know, very open about there's it. There's a big difference between being a sympathizer and then trying to plot for for murder or for assassination. Talk is cheap. The question is, who do you count on? Was it something really organized or it was a spontaneous idea? Was it someone locally decided to do something and then people had an idea and they decided to do it? This was a well-organized, orchestrated attack, as we discover later. Yes, but it was locally orchestrated. Locally orchestrated. Locally orchestrated. It wasn't a directive coming from somewhere else to do it. Well, there was no somewhere else yet. Exactly. So basically, the people who tried to do it or behind it were not professional people. They were just people who had an opinion and they felt, and you know they got excited with each other's opinions. And then probably one said, "Well, maybe we should kill him." And then one said, "Yeah." And then all of a sudden, from that, all of a sudden, this starting of a plan. It's a good plan. It is a good plan. Create a distraction. The yes. guards go away. Surround him with enough people. One of them will hopefully get through. Get Lincoln, and then they even have an escape plan. They've chartered a steamer. They can get away to Virginia, which was a southern state. But what else safe. do they understand? They understand that he doesn't have security. Right. They know his schedule and, and is easy identified because he's tall. He wears yes. has a big hat. Yes, he has a big he's, hat. Lincoln is known to wear a big hat. Yes. Exactly. And uh, he's tall and big hat and follow So you're that saying guy. an assassin shooting him would be easier maybe. But then you need a marksman, no, you need to be placed somewhere, which does happen later. We'll talk about those, those attempts yes, later. We'll, we'll talk about those later. But in this case... Right. Mm. If you're looking at it from a from a plan, from a local plan, from local people, yes, that was probably the best idea they could come up with locally. But again, they allowed too many people, you would say, into the plot. How did, for instance, Kate Warren learn of the plot? Well, she was socializing with the other women, the Southern Bells, and some of the men too, I'm sure. And people were vocal about it. Probably a lot of people didn't think it was a legitimate plot, and they were just shooting the breeze, as they say, you know, talking talking their their angers and frustrations away. Because again, none, nothing like this had ever happened. This is unheard of. Now Pinkerton, he only had 13 days to foil the plot once it was uncovered and before Lincoln was set to arrive at his last leg. Davies, his undercover agent, made a breakthrough with the conspirators five days before Lincoln arrived in Baltimore, getting invited to a final meeting of the conspirators. And at this meeting, secret ballots were made and each one got handed one of these ballots, the marked ballot being the person who was supposed to kill Lincoln. Now, unfortunately for Davies, he didn't draw the marked ballot. Bummer, because then he could have just chosen not to kill Lincoln. So he went to his other contact there and discussed the fact that he didn't have a marked ballot. The other contact also didn't have one. Also didn't have one, yeah. But the other contact was in the know with the leader of this little group, and he said, don't worry about it. There wasn't actually just one marking. There were eight secretly handed out but they don't know about this. So eight people are actually going to do it. This way, if one of them loses their nerve, one of the others might be able to. Now, I think this is a pretty ingenious ploy. Yes and no. Why yes? Because then you're not relying on one person who gets cold feet, or all of a sudden he gets distracted, all of a sudden he can't make it. But then if the other people know that there are others that can do it, then maybe they then won't. maybe they won't do it because they realize... Wait a minute, uh, maybe, you know, there's more that can do it. Maybe I won't do it. 
so I'll leave it to someone else. So all of a sudden, the burden of doing it is not only yours. If they all knew that others were going to do it, sometimes it actually it doesn't happen because of it, instead mm. of having more people to do it. It's interesting, but you have eight. So I mean, how many people were there? I mean, think about it. If eight got the mark, where there were 30 people there, 50 people, I mean, he didn't mark every, every one, and only the last two didn't get it. So you're talking about a lot of people who know about it. That means that in any investigation afterwards, all these people, all of them, in the end, if you look at it from the point of view of, of justice, they're all of them guilty. Because yeah. So you have conspiracy more people. Conspiracy to commit murder. Yes, of a president. Of a president, absolutely. Yes. Well, president-elect, not quite president. Well, it's, it's president-elect, but it's a president. Yes. So a good idea, but it shows you the numbers. Shows you maybe as well they didn't, didn't there was no one they could really... A no one that they could actually trust to do the exactly, job properly. Because you well. would think, okay, let's let's get the one guy. They get one guy to do it, the pro, or two or three, but eight. And the guy, know, they, or, or, the guy orchestrating the thing doesn't want to do it himself either. You know, that's he doesn't want to do it. He doesn't yeah. pick up the thing. He doesn't yeah. pick up the, the the paper. And again, what happens if they all start rushing towards him? They're going to fight each other to get to him. So fully convinced of the plot, Pinkerton tries to persuade Lincoln to cancel the stop at Baltimore and proceed secretly directly to Washington. Now, before you continue. You've only given him five days warning. So we don't know that he's been in the loop that there is a plot before then. Lincoln is aware of it five days only before it happens. Now, now let's see what happens. Well, he refuses to believe it. You know, this has never happened before. He's not the president yet. He's not yet receiving daily death threats, which happens later. The Civil War hasn't begun yet, so it's still one nation. So he refuses to believe it, and he insists on keeping his schedule. He also made a promise that he was going to visit those places, and he felt like he would be betraying his word. This is also the beginning of his presidency. He doesn't want to appear weak. He doesn't want to appear like he's sneaking into Washington, like he's afraid of his own citizens. So Pinkerton clashes with Lincoln, but especially... But I have to add on something else. If you look at the cycle of, of Lincoln, he got elected by only 30% of the people. It so happens there were these other candidates, because they split among themselves, so I think he got 30 and there were three others. But because he had more than they did, he was elected. So he knew he didn't really have the full support of the people. So he needed that to do something about it. That was what the Stop and Whistle Tour was about. It was about yes. building support, showing yes. that he's a good guy and, and all this stuff. Yes. He wanted to start on the right foot. Exactly. You know, and you have to take that in consideration when you, when, when you have to think about his decision about what to do about it. Absolutely. So, so Pinkerton clashed with Lincoln, but most importantly, he clashed with Lincoln's friend, Ward Hill Lemon, who I quoted from in the beginning, yes. over Lincoln's protection. Lemon offered Lincoln a revolver and a bowie knife, himself armed to the teeth and saying that he would protect him and that's all we needed and don't be silly, you know, you're over-exaggerating. Pinkerton protesting that he would not for the world have it said that Mr. Lincoln had to enter the national capital armed. Lincoln says he'll think about it, but he's not interested. Dismissing uh, Pinkerton... But then later, a second source confirms the plot to Lincoln through a guy named Frederick W. Seward, who was the son of the Secretary of State designate, so the Secretary of State-to-be. Lincoln finally agreeing that the assassination plot was plausible enough to take action. We don't know how this um, second source is confirmed, but I'm sure the upper echelon society, he had also heard it. And interestingly, he listens to a friend, you know. A friend's recommendation sways him. Not this uh, Pinkerton guy who he doesn't know. Might have a good reputation. But, Never uh, listen to the professionals. Always listen to someone else. <laughs> is that a personal complaint, Dad? A no, professional no, complaint? No, I'm just saying it's uh, something you should take in mind. That The leaders don't always listen to the opinions of the agencies actually nominate to do the job. But they'll listen to someone else who by happens to be a friend. So Pinkerton sets a plan in motion soon after. 
Lincoln would leave early and change his schedule unannounced. He would put on an old overcoat and a soft beaver hat with a shawl draped over his arm to mask his features. Lincoln was no longer recognizable to strangers. And as he recalled, he said, I was not the same man when I looked at myself. They leave Philadelphia. Good. That's, that's what it should be. That's what has to be done. So they leave Philadelphia early, where Lincoln currently was. Pinkerton cuts the telegraph lines to Baltimore to prevent communication between conspirators. He plans to transfer Lincoln from the car he was in to a sleeper car, which would arrive in Baltimore in the middle of the night. Their car would then be unhitched and drawn by Horace to the next station, which was a mile away. This was the dangerous point, and it would be attached then to another train headed to Washington to arrive ahead of schedule at the Capitol. But there was a problem. It was on the sleeper train. Anyone could get on. There were no reserved seats. And because they were a small group traveling inconspicuously, they had to do something. They couldn't surround themselves with guards. So, his agent, Warren, tries to convince the conductor to reserve several seats for them, and she comes up with a plan. Lincoln would be her brother, who was very ill, and he had to be taken on the train and not disturbed for the rest of the journey. The conductor eventually consented to her request, and he was convinced by her, organizing them some space. Last-minute good agent work, right? Yes, but looking about uh, finance, I mean, you could say, uh, let's uh, buy the whole uh, cabin. Then do you have a problem with the conductor? You're buying uh, eight tickets for eight rooms instead of just buying two and asking to keep six But that's empty. also conspicuous. Well, the last minute, people turn, turn, didn't turn up, did they? But again, money, you know, maybe the budget was a bit of a problem at the time. Maybe... Wasn't maybe, president yet and didn't have the resources there yet. Who knows? But that's just just as a side uh, issue. But yes, I mean, it's a very special job she has. She has to make sure that he doesn't. there's no one else there because... And it's all last will, minute. It's all last minute. So the train arrives early at Baltimore. Another problem. Pinkerton is nervous. He ushers Lincoln into a carriage and gives complicated directions so that they arrive as late as possible before the sleeper train leaves. So these complicated directions would waste time before they get to the uh, sleeper train. That's interesting because he wanted it to be in a certain specific time. He had to know the road, and I'm sure there wasn't a, a map or a GPS that can tell him the longest way. Please tell me the longest way to get there. Uh, no. So he couldn't say to the driver, to the carriage guy, you know, take me to the station. No, take me there, take me there, take me there. So you had to know the area. So he had to think in advance. Again, clever thinking and it proves again how important it is to know your terrain. Well, Pinkerton Very was much. a master, and we'll, do a, we'll actually yes. do a whole episode on him at a later date. Okay. So minutes before the sleeper train departs, they arrive and rush Lincoln on board. Lincoln calm, cracking jokes, putting everyone at ease when everyone is really tense. Pinkerton rose often and walked up and down the train, nervous, and he would see his watchmen stood along the tracks, raising lanterns, signaling that everything was clear. Warren never slept the entire journey which was possibly the source for Pinkerton's agency's later motto, we never sleep. They arrive in Baltimore. Warren is sent back undercover to gauge the reaction of what it means that Lincoln slept through unnoticed. And once Lincoln passed safely through Baltimore, Pinkerton sent a one-line telegram to the president of the railway company he was working for. Plums delivered nuts safely. So I guess uh, he was plums and Lincoln was nuts. You must be nuts to say that. <laughs> Uh, on February 23rd, Lincoln's scheduled train arrives in Baltimore. Large crowds gather to see him, but quickly learn that Lincoln had already passed. Even the rest of his party, Mrs. Lincoln and the children, had already alighted from the train at an unscheduled stop several blocks north of the station. Years later, Ward Hill Lemon, Lincoln's friend and bodyguard again, would publicly argue that there was no plot. 
It is perfectly manifest that there was no conspiracy. No conspiracy of a hundred, of fifty, of twenty, of three. No definite purpose in the heart of even one man to murder Mr. Lincoln in Baltimore. Why would you say that? Well, he didn't believe it at the time, and he clashed with Pinkerton. No one was ever prosecuted for the plot either, because Lincoln was too busy with other matters, you know, a war breaking out and other things. And so there's no agency really to, to no investigate No agency it. to investigate it. And there was other things to deal but, with. But, as we'll find out in part two, we might see that Lemon has a change of heart. To be continued. For the remainder of his presidency, Lincoln's critics hounded him for the cowardly act, they called it, of sneaking through Baltimore at night in disguise, sacrificing his honor for his personal safety. Although they didn't know there was an attempt, I don't think, right? There was never publicized. No, it wasn't at the publicized time. that there was an attempt. So he had to keep quiet about it the whole time. He couldn't say, "Well, I did do that, did that because we had information or evidence there was something." Well, he happen. also wanted to keep quiet about it. Lincoln, Lincoln never wanted to advertise, as we'll see in the next plots coming up, which are shorter than this one. Um, mm. He didn't want people to think that there was a threat, this danger. He wasn't even president yet. Again, that there wasn't a civil war yet. So yeah, Pinkerton later wrote. I had informed Mr. Lincoln in Philadelphia that I would answer with my life for his safe arrival in Washington. And I had redeemed my pledge. And he did. He did. He did a good job. Yes. And again, you see the lack of thinking of necessity of a protection. A private guy is giving his bodyguards, a company using a detective. Nothing organized. Nothing. There was no none, secret service no, at that time. No secret service. No thought that something more established should take care of the security and safety. Again, was something no president that had really, ever been assassinated yet. Even that. You, but you would think that... No there war. Would, there was no war yet. Yes. But, you know, you, you're right. There was no... There was no history for any of this happening, but... Well, there was. Julius Caesar, uh, you know, uh, other people. People yes, had been assassinated but, in, in the yes, past but, leaders. But, Certainly in England, there was no shortages of kings being killed by different people. Exactly, and even, even in other places. But... Um, you would think it's, looking at it back today, you would think, how come there was no bodyguards or security service or anything? Well, again, Lincoln and, didn't want an yeah, army escort. Yeah. He had his friend Lemon with him, who was a big, tough guy. And Lincoln was uh, proud and open and believed the best in people. And there's a history of that with American presidents, in fact. Why have there been more American presidents killed? Because there's this openness with American presidents to to be accessible, to be there and out. And so... Okay. Yeah. So that's that was the first. That was that, that was, was the, the first, first plot, plot, the Baltimore plot. Okay. Uh, no one was prosecuted. Lincoln gets away scot free, and that's before even his presidency. Plot number one survived. Yes. On to the next okay. with a short pit stop because there was what I called minor plots. Every day, Lincoln, once he became president, would receive death threats, daily letters of threats by gun, knife, poisoned ink, and apparently even an instance of uh, being killed by a spider-filled dumplings, which uh, never came into fruition, unfortunately, but a rather creative way to go. Now, I stress this to heighten the sense of threat that surrounded Lincoln. There are these daily threats. The Civil War breaks out, and now he's at war with half his nation. And yet, in spite of all this, he still takes his security, I would say, fairly easily you always feel that when you have an enemy that's not your own you are better you know how to protect yourself better an external but, enemy external enemy but when you have internally or internal issues that tear the country apart civil wars civil wars civil unrest uh, dissidents you, you terrorism you seem to not believe that someone might do that to you and all of over history even to the recent history to a number of countries 
you find that actually the downfall or the person, the leader, is assassinated or falls because not from external enemies but from internal plots and not believing, disbelief that it might happen. Well, I will um, tell a story that you told me, and of course I'll Uh-oh. conceal names and uh, all these different things. There had been a very major terrorist attack that had occurred in a nation. And you told me that you were speaking with the security agency of another nation. And you were telling this other nation that there was a lot of potential for an act like that to happen in their nation internally. And they thought that they only had to worry about external threats. And you were saying that, no, they have to look internally because there's a lot of potential from their internal citizens, people of that nation, to do a similar type of plot. And they rather indignantly kind of said, never, never, it couldn't happen here. Never. Yes, they said something along those lines. Correct. And unfortunately, a major incident happened not long after. And then they started listening to you, didn't they? Yes. But until things happen, you don't realize it might happen. And that's what happens. There's a disbelief associated with it. Yes. On to plot number two. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. July 2nd, 1864. The Civil War is now raging. Lincoln visits Fort Stevens outside of Washington, and sniper fire almost gets the better of him. So Lincoln is watching a desperate Confederate attack from the fort parapet. He borrows a spyglass from a signal officer next to him. The officer, noting the towering president, was stood there with a long frock coat and plug hat on, making a very conspicuous figure. Bang! Another officer is suddenly shot in the leg, falling seriously wounded. Shock. And an ordinary soldier, quickly and roughly, orders Lincoln to, Get down, you'll have your head knocked off. Which, of course, Lincoln then promptly did. This was the closest a serving president had ever come to being shot in battle while in office. The gunfire was likely from Confederate sharpshooters, shooting from up to a thousand yards away with a gun that was probably a, a Whitworth sniper rifle. So that was the plot. That was the assassination attempt. Now, do we count this as an assassination attempt? 
if it would have succeeded, it would have been the end, and then someone would have taken credit for it. So, but it would it have been an assassination attempt, or would it have been an opportunity at war? Well, who knew he was going to be there? Whose initiative was it to stand up and with the binoculars and have a look around? Was there someone specifically on the other side waiting for him to stand up and try and get hold of him and shoot him? Assassination is a big word for this. I would say it was an opportunity. An opportunity for sure. And that was unsuccessful. But I don't think that even the people that were shooting in that from that range actually thought the president is a, was the target. They just saw someone... Uh, well, the, the officer was saying that Lincoln was a very tall, very distinguished, very identifiable person. And he said he was standing there with a frock coat, the plug hat, his signature hat, very conspicuous figure. My take on this, the soldiers, the Confederates didn't know that Lincoln was going to be there. But there's a whole ruckus. They see, they spyglass. Oh, my God, Lincoln's here. Maybe this is an opportunity to get him. This uh, desperate attack by the Confederates, I think maybe it was a ruse. As well. Look who's around him, private soldiers. I mean, you would think the, the president would be surrounded by 200 generals who want to show him, hey, look, general, hey, look, the president, look what we're doing. Look, and look I want to show but you something. But that was not Lincoln's nature. He was a man of the people. He probably was like, I yeah. want to see for myself. And he probably went out of the general's tent and snuck up to the parapets. And Yeah, but there must have been some generals around him. I mean, two signal didn't... officers. But what's interesting to me is no, no officer or general told Lincoln to get down. It was the private... It was like, get down, you're going to get your head blown off, you know? All right. He survived the second plot. What's the plot number three? The gunfire at the old soldier's home. Okay. Mid-August, 1864, 11 p.m. Lincoln rides alone to old soldier's home outside Washington, D.C. Why do you say alone? Why, why, why did I say what's alone? The, why are you saying why emphasize alone? alone? Because it just shows, again, Lincoln's character. So he's riding alone to old soldier's home outside Washington, D.C., where he and his family would escape the summer heat. As he's riding, a sudden gunshot happens, and his horse is spooked, his hat's knocked off, and his uh, horse rushes off with Lincoln on top of it. When he arrives at Old Soldier's home, Lincoln dismounts and gestures to his horse. He came pretty near getting away with me, didn't he? He got the bit in his teeth before I could draw the rein. Now, Private Nichols, a soldier who was stood nearby, asked the president, Where's your hat, sir? Lincoln replying that someone fired off a gun at the foot of a hill, and his horse was scared off and jerked the hat off. Thinking the affair strange, Nichols and a corporal, who we must have reported to, go and investigate. And what do they find? They find the president's hat, a plain silk one at the time, with a bullet hole straight through the crown. The shot was fired upwards, which is evidence that the person who fired it had been close to the roadside. And the next day, they give Lincoln's hat to him and call attention to the bullet hole. Lincoln, unconcerned, says... It was put there by some foolish gunner and was not intended for me. However, keep the matter quiet and say nothing about it. Rumors of assassination plots are more dangerous to the Union's cause than silence. Lincoln dismissing the incident as likely a hunting accident. But this again goes to his character. Alone, traveling alone, <laughs> with his horse, no security, middle of the night. Yes, I, I suppose that's... Very clever, in the middle of a war. In the middle of a war. In a... Again, feeling very safe and secure, or he, he trusts his instincts and that he thinks everything is going to be okay. Now, if you look at it as a, a plot point of view, okay, from the plotters, they had to know he will be traveling alone. That means it's not the first time he did it. Second, they had he to have someone... He was known to travel alone. Lemon would later say that he would often sneak out and travel alone and get away from them and travel so to old it, soldiers' home. Yeah. If we look, look at it as an assassination attempt, then there had to be a plan. Now, if it's a plan and we're looking at his assassination attempt, 
That means someone had to realize that they'll have to sit around, wait maybe for some, some good couple of hours or even more in an area, have to have a good explanation why it's there, maybe more than one time, maybe doing it a whole week and waiting until the right opportunity comes along, having a rifle or a gun that is reliable, having a way to get away afterwards, and understanding the, the situation there. Look, these now, are not modern rifles. So if a guy's riding on horse next to you and you're at night, you got to shoot, it's hard to hit as well. So you have to be very close. Yeah. And you have to have maybe a horse nearby to get away yeah. eventually. So maybe there's another a noise that could happen. Maybe there would be tracks and you could follow whoever was. But unfortunately, as is often the case with Lincoln in these situations, he brushes it off. No investigation was made. And to this day, we have no idea who the gunshot uh, belonged to. I have a theory about it, which I'll tell you in part two. I think I know what you're going leading to. But again, looking at it from a plot point of view, not from how Lincoln responded to it, we have no information that it was something organized by someone outside to assassinate the president. There was, if there's anything, it's an individual who decided maybe to do something. That's maybe. that's all we have. Well, I have my theory that we'll get to in part two of the six assassinations of Abraham Lincoln. All right. The soldiers were pretty confident that this was an attempt to kill Lincoln, but kept quiet as requested. When was it revealed, by the way? Well, Private Nichols' story was later corroborated by Lincoln himself, who told his friend... Lemon, who we've come to know quite well, yes. uh, Ward Hill Lemon, who incidentally wrote a biography about his life, quite interesting, who later recounted in his book, Recollections of Abraham Lincoln, paraphrasing Lincoln's words as the following. You know, I have always told you I thought you an idiot that ought to be put in a straitjacket for your apprehensions and my personal danger from assassination. You also know that the way we skulked into this city in the first place has been a source of shame and regret for me, for it did look so cowardly. That is, of yeah, course, referring to Baltimore. the Baltimore plot. I don't now propose to make you my father confessor and acknowledge a change of heart, yet I'm free to admit that just now I don't know what to think. Last night, about 11 o'clock, I went out to Soldier's Home alone, riding old Abe, as you call him, and when I arrived at the foot of the hill, at a slow gait, immersed in deep thought, suddenly I was aroused. I may say the arousement lifted me out of my saddle as well as out of my wits by the report of a rifle, and seemingly the gunner was not 50 yards from where my contemplations ended and my accelerated transit began. My erratic namesake, Old Abe, with little warning, gave proof of decided dissatisfaction at the racket, and with one reckless bound, he unceremoniously separated me from my $8 pug hat, with which I parted company at breakneck speed, and we soon arrived in a haven of safety. Meanwhile, I was left in doubt whether death was more desirable from being thrown from a runaway federal horse, or as the tragic result, of a rifle ball fired by a disloyal bushwhacker in the middle of the night. Lincoln really wanted it to be a joke. He had a good sense of humor. Yes, he was known to be a joker. Yeah. Personally, I can't bring myself to believe anyone has shot or will deliberately shoot at me with the purpose of killing me. Although I must acknowledge that I heard this fellow's bullet whistle at an uncomfortably short distance from these headquarters of mine. I tell you, there is no time on record equal to that made by the two old Abes on that occasion. I can truthfully say that one of the Abes was frightened on this occasion, but modesty forbids my mentioning which of us is entitled to that distinguished honor. This whole thing seems farcical. No good can result at this time from giving it publicity. Again, good sense of humor. Good sense of humor. And keeping it quiet. Uh, yes. And did he then travel alone? Well, Ward Hill Lemon wrote, It was impossible to indulge him to forgo these lonely and dangerous journeys between the executive mansion and the soldier's home. He often eluded our vigilance, 
and before his absence could be noted, he would be well on his way to his summer residence, alone, and many times at night. But after the incident, Lincoln never rode alone again. So he knows it was a close call. Old Abe seemed to start learning his lesson. Yes. Which one of the old apes? Uh, well, modesty forbids me from telling you which. <laughs> Thank you. We get to our final plot, the fourth plot. And this one, when I learned about it, was wild to me. Yes, it was. Plot number four is The Doctor's Plot by Dr. Luke Blackburn. Sounds pretty respectable at this point, don't you think? Any doctor's respectable. Yes, a doctor's very respectable profession. He was yes. actually a governor as well, but we'll, yes. we'll get to that. This is uh, the plot the New York Times later called... The plot by the Yellow Fever Fiend. It was 1863, and in a bid to win the war and kill Lincoln, Dr. Luke wanted to poison him with yellow fever-infected clothing. Biological warfare. Biological warfare. So Luke Blackburn was uh, born into a well-connected Kentuckian family. In uh, 1843, he served an undistinguished term in the Kentucky General Assembly, and then he left politics for a career in medicine. He established himself as an expert in treating yellow fever and gained prominence for humanitarian impulses. So far, so good, right? I mean, sounds yes. like a nice guy. Yes. The Civil War breaks out, and at 44 years old, he was too old to fight, but too passionate not to. He lobbied Confederate leaders to be made general inspector of hospitals and camps, saying he was willing to take this position without pay or rank. His suggestion was ignored. Instead, he volunteered to help and aid Confederate blockade runners in Canada. He became a Confederate agent and organizes and smuggles supplies to the rebel army. So far, seems normal enough, right? Yep. Trouble starts when uh, he meets Colonel Jacob Thompson, who is a Confederate spy, as well as a man named Godfrey Joseph Hyams, who was an impoverished English shoemaker who turned Confederate agent. Now, the Confederates at this point were not doing so well in the war. It was starting to go bad for them. And Blackburn comes up with a plan. He's familiar with the devastation of yellow fever, and he wants to induce the epidemic in the North. Thompson, this is Colonel Thompson, the Confederate spy, agrees to help fund the scheme, and Blackburn promises Hyams, the English uh, shoemaker, $100,000 for distributing clothes when the time comes. That's a lot of money for back then. So Blackburn and Hyams operated on their own initiative, but with the full cognizance of the Confederate government. Hyams later revealing that funds for the trip were distributed and provided by Colonel Thompson. So clearly it was part of the Confederate's plot. In fact, Thompson's secretary was a close confidant of the Confederate president, Jefferson Davies. So Jefferson Davies must have been aware of this plot, if not directly involved. Wild. Uh, but we're not there yet. No, we're not done yet. But what is yellow fever? Why would he want to use yellow fever? Well, during epidemics, yellow fever can kill up to half of the people who develop severe forms of it. And even today, it's life-threatening to unvaccinated people. We understand more about vaccination these days. We definitely understand more about vaccinations these days. At the time, it was believed to be incredibly infectious and spread quickly from person to person through sweat, blood, and vomit. However, today we know better and we know that it was actually spread uh, by mosquitoes. So fortunately, the doctor's plot wouldn't have worked anyway, but he didn't know that at the time. Waiting for a new outbreak of yellow fever to occur, one happened in April of 1864. It was in Bermuda. So Blackburn sails to the island and starts treating the sick for free. He instructs Himes to stay in Canada and await orders. Canada, by the way, was a hotbed of Confederate activity because it was neutral and they could smuggle different things and, you know, plan and outside of the U.S. jurisdiction. Blackburn spends weeks treating patients. He collects uh, sweat and clothing and blood and stuff, and he stores them in trunks, some even with a hotel keeper named Edward Swan in, in Bermuda itself, who agrees to store the trunks until final shipments can be made. 
The epidemic finally ends in July of 1864, and Blackburn returns to Canada with more luggage than he left with. Blackburn even goes back to Bermuda later to stock up on even more infected clothes, and he passes the trunks to Hyams, instructing him to auction them off in cities occupied by Union troops. He warns Hyams that the clothing is very contagious, uh, to always wear gloves and to handle it with delicacy. Of course, again, we know now that it's yes. not. But Blackburn also allegedly proudly referred to his actions as an infallible plan directed against the masses of northern people solely to create death. Hyams sells the infected clothes through used clothes retailers near Union Army depots and stations with plans to kill off large numbers of Union soldiers and generally terrify the population. He also had a special case of elegant shirts meant to be delivered to Lincoln, which, according to Hyams, were blood-stained fancy shirts especially tailored and made for the president. Himes, however, refused to deliver this. This is a crazy plot. Deliver poison shirts to the president in hopes that he'll put on the shirt and get yellow fever. I mean, this is wild, right? Yes, but, you know, you're desperate, and they thought that's a way to do it, and that's his contribution. Well, Blackburn's activities came to the attention of the American consul in Bermuda, suspicious that Blackburn asked for no compensation for expenses or services, and he was alarmed because Blackburn never neglected to advertise that he was um, in favor of the rebel cause and all this stuff, so there was something fishy going on. Eager for payment, Himes returned to Canada, met Blackburn, but was only paid $50. Blackburn claiming that he wanted proof that the clothing was actually sold before giving him the rest of the promised $100,000. And of course, proof would be mass outbreaks and things like that, which never came because that's not how the yellow fever spread. Himes, after trying repeatedly to get his pay, realized Blackburn wouldn't pay, and frustrated and desperate for cash, he reveals the conspiracy to the U.S. consulate in Toronto on April 12, 1865, which happens to be three days after the Southern General Robert E. Lee surrenders, and also a day before Lincoln's actual eventual assassination. Which is interesting because did he only do this after Lee surrendered and it looked like the Confederates were going to lose and he wanted to find a way out or really the money thing? His testimony and the timing of the testimony later coming into question as a result of those exact questions. In exchange for testifying against Blackburn, Himes was granted full immunity and paid, a fact that Blackburn used in his defense. Three infested trunks were still in Bermuda with the innkeeper Edward Swan. They were discovered and quarantined immediately, said to contain dirty flannel drawers and shirts, evidently taken from a sickbed, with some policies and many other things which could have been placed there for no legitimate purpose. In May of 1865, Blackburn was arrested by Canadian police for plotting acts of war against the United States while in Canada, which violated the nation's neutrality. And even though the evidence against him was considerable, much of it was circumstantial or provided by Hyams, who had a questionable reputation and motives. And most of the trunks were, were lost, and not all of Hyams' testimony could be confirmed, basically. It's interesting, two characters here, and uh, how it involves an intelligence. The issue in Bermuda with the consul being suspicious. I find that interesting because it means that you never know what a bit of information or a little bit of investigation that you do might lead to something much bigger. And that's always uh, one thing we always have to remember, that you never know when something has a bigger meaning and a bigger picture. And you always want to encourage people to bring this information forward and then actually to do something with it. So here you have someone who, why, why is he doesn't want any money for all this work he does? He's an American. He probably wants to make money. But what's the, what's the motive? You're I mean, saying Americans like to make money? No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that Americans would like to get paid for their services. Their services. And if someone doesn't, then they were suspicious in this case. Rightfully so. 
so if he would have paid for the stuff, it wouldn't be suspicious. So sometimes to keep your cover, you have to do something that's completely normal. Do something realistic. Yes. You know, and, and, and here he got found out because he didn't keep his cover in that aspect. If he would have said, yes, I want to make a little bit of payment for what I'm doing, he wouldn't have been flagged out. Yeah, I mean, it's, it would be suspicious if a cleaner came to you today and was like, hello, uh, I would like to clean your house. I'll do it for free. Just as long as I can have access to your bedroom while you're asleep, uh, then I'll be very nice, but I'll do it for free. I mean, it's uh, very suspicious. Uh, yes, I, I... The accent was also suspicious. But. Yes, I, I didn't want... I, there's all sorts of my, things went into my mind when you said these things. I decided not to comment on those. Okay. But um, as well, in, when you look at in Canada, again, the role that the official diplomats play and what they're required from them, very important as an intelligence organization or intelligence people to... Look out for all sorts of odd information and Absolutely. people come with something. Even looks like Especially crazy. someone who's a, a vocal Confederate sympathizer. Yes, yes. Well, unfortunately, Blackburn was acquitted by the Toronto court, who found the evidence only circumstantial. And though public sentiment was definitely against him throughout the U.S. due to a publication of the accusation and plot, hence the New York Times calling him the, the yellow fever fiend and everything, he wasn't... Uh, wasn't found guilty by the Canadian court. But he wasn't out of trouble yet, because the U.S. authorities still had a warrant for conspiracy to commit murder with his plot. Um, of course, Blackburn denying he had ever hatched the scheme. Uh, Blackburn remained in Canada to avoid the U.S. prosecution, but eventually secretly returned home in 1865, well after the Civil War and, and Lincoln's death, to combat a yellow fever outbreak along the Gulf Coast of Texas and Louisiana. Charges against him were not dropped, but he was not arrested or prosecuted. He actually even rehabilitated his image by rendering aid in the yellow fever outbreaks throughout the 1870s and was even dubbed the hero of Hickman, his popularity propelling him into the Democratic gubernatorial nomination the following year, where he even defeats the Republican nominee in a general election by a wide margin and becomes dun -dun -dun, governor of Kentucky. Yeah, that's that's crazy, right? It shows you. What was he like as a governor? Well, he passed a couple reforms about the state finance and internal improvements, but his signature accomplishment was actually the penal reform, and he attempted to ease overcrowding through liberal use of uh, pardons, earning the nickname Lenient Luke. He also secured uh, approval for construction of uh, new penitentiaries and adopted a warden system to replace the corrupt private oversight of old penitentiaries, implementing the state's first parole system as well. So private prisons were a thing back then, too. His records of reform led historians to laud him as the father of prison reform in Kentucky. But uh, his liberal pardon record and use of uh, scarce taxpayer money uh, to improve living conditions of the prisoners was definitely unpopular at the time, and he was booed and shouted down at his uh, party's next nomination convention in 1883. And uh, after one term as governor, he returned to a medical practice, living happily ever after. Historians today disagree as to the strength of the evidence supporting Blackburn's alleged plot, Seems pretty logical to me, but um, he died in 1887, more than a decade before mosquitoes were confirmed as the carriers of yellow fever. And later in life, Blackburn was only known as a doctor and governor. And four years after his death, Kentucky erected a monument by his grave with the parable of the Good Samaritan appearing in the bas relief. Also, a minimum security penal facility in Lexington, Kentucky, was named in his honor in 1972. If Blackburn's plot was successful, it would have been one of the earliest incidences of biological warfare. And that's it. That's the four assassination attempts that we're going to cover on part one of this uh, two-part episode or series. 
What do you think? Well, what's the common world of four of them? I would say nothing organized, no big strategy led by someone in some headquarters to do the assassinations. Individuals, each one has a feeling that he might be able to do something because they're very annoyed with the situation. And therefore, it's not done professionally. On the other hand, the president or the president-elect didn't have the tools that we have today of protection. And obviously, if they did, these things would have not happened. They were all close calls, though. They were close calls. But if you put yourself in firing range, you might get hurt if that's the third plot. Uh, the fourth plot, I don't think Lincoln even knew about it, or it wasn't. So for well, him, the, it the newspapers advertised about it later, and that's how you yes, probably find out. But I don't know. Look, yes, if, but, he, but it yellow, wasn't at the time. If the yellow fever was actually spread that way, and if Himes had delivered those shirts to Lincoln, would he have worn the shirts? Who knows? But it seems highly plausible that someone would have opened this package addressed to Abraham Lincoln. They, we didn't think about like. Um, anthrax poisoning or something. They would have so opened I'm this thinking package. thinking about that exactly. I mean, and they would say, oh, it's, it's fancy shirts addressed to Mr. Lincoln. And he would probably take it to Mr. Lincoln. Some admirer has given you fancy shirts. Look, what they wanted to do was panic. Get panic. and, and But as again, remember the times and remember the people who were involved. And if you get rid of the leadership, what it means. And if people are sick. It, it, so there's a lot of things in mind. The other aspect is how much people were prepared even not too many, but some, how many people were prepared to go and assassinate or go against the elected president, even though some of them didn't elect for him and vote for him, and they felt so strongly about it, they were willing to do something that was up to then not thought of. And that's alarming. And that shows you even... people wanted to get a civil war. You know, half the country was against him. And in the North... You know, it's not like all of the South was against him and all the North was with him. In the South, there were people who were in favor of Lincoln, and in the North, there were people who were against him as well. So there's yes. enemies all over the place. But this need of his to, to per, the perception of strength to appear strong uh, left him very vulnerable, in my opinion. You know, I think it was obviously it was a great strength of character for him, and maybe it was one of the reasons why we perceive him as such a, a an honest Abe and you know a good figure. But it would also put him in danger, undoubtedly. And this denial he had to refuse to believe that he could be a target, even after he nearly gets killed twice, three times. And he's like, I can't believe that someone would try to kill me. It must have been an accident. I mean, you'd think that the government could force on the president some kind of like, like secretly follow him with someone. Even today, in some places, if you ask certain ministers and VIP protectives to take some measures, if they don't want it, you know, you can't force it on them. What if you secretly follow them? Okay, that's one thing, but, you know... But why why no follow-through on prosecution as well? Wouldn't that incentivize more attempts from other people? It's a sign of the times as well. I mean, do you want to spend time on that in those days? I mean, did yeah. you have the prosecution? Did you have the evidence? I mean, there was plenty of people they could have brought to justice. And, and then in the last plot, it's different, but we'll get to that when we get to mm -hmm. that. But um, luck in these played cases, a huge factor as well. Yeah, in, in these cases, there was no prosecution against anyone. Right. Even though they did investigate. Yeah, but there wasn't a full fall through. Even Blackburn, you know, he comes back and this, and they just let him become governor. Eh, it's the past. It's different well, times, it's right? As well, you know, there are countries, like in South Africa, where they did uh, pardon everybody afterwards and, and uh, come clean and, and continue. And that's the greatness of a country as well. So in this case as well, maybe they said, you know what? Healing. Healing. Healing and move forward. Yes. Yeah. But luck, luck was a big factor. And that's why he was factor. allowed to be governor. You yeah. know, it was, in the, it was, it was a situation, it was a period in our history 
we're going forward. The guy contributed by helping our people. They felt he did his share giving back to the country. So he ran for governor, and I'm sure people mentioned in his when he was running his history, Basili was elected. So people did forgive him. Yeah. Luck, big factor. Big factor. How much does that, that play, and how do you minimize luck? You have to minimize luck if you're assassinating someone, and you have to maximize luck if you're trying to escape <laughs> assassinations. So by changing the plan, you give yourself a better chance by appointing seven to people to assassin or eight people in this case, you're increasing your chances. But luck, of course, luck is in everything. Lincoln said, If I am killed, I can die but once. But to live in constant dread of it is to die over and over again. Which is very interesting because Shakespeare said something similar when he wrote Julius Caesar. Cowards die a thousand deaths. Something along those lines. Yes. Before we leave you, Abraham Lincoln on February 22nd, 1861, gave a speech at Independence Hall in Philadelphia. Hours before this speech, Lincoln was told of the Baltimore plot to assassinate him. And these were his words. I have never had a feeling, politically, that did not spring from the sentiments embodied in the Declaration of Independence. I have often inquired of myself what great principle or idea it was that kept this Confederacy so long together It was not the mere separation of the colonies from the motherland, but that sentiment of the Declaration of Independence, which gave liberty not alone to the people of this country, but hope to all the world for all future time. It was that which gave promise that in due time the weights that would be lifted from the shoulders of all men and that all shall have an equal chance. This is the sentiment embodied in the Declaration of Independence. I would rather be assassinated on this spot than surrender it. And in part two, we'll find out what happens. This was Spies and Lies. Thanks for listening. And remember, sometimes it's best to listen to the professionals. Spies and Lies is a grumpy goal in production with original scoring and mastering by Julian Dussault. If you enjoyed listening, don't forget to share with your friends and leave a comment or review wherever you listen from. If you have any questions or subjects you'd like for my father and I to cover, drop us a message and we'll do our best to get back to you. Thanks again. Until next time. And part two. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.